Well, good morning. I want to begin by talking about how I like music. Okay, when I listen to a song, I'm often experiencing how that song makes me feel. Sometimes I think about an experience, perhaps, in my life that that song reminds me of. Uh, For example, some songs uh, can make me think about victory, right? Uh, Does everyone remember Centuries by Fall Out Boy? It's that song that played every single commercial on ABC during Ohio State's uh, title run. So every time I hear it, I think about that championship. Or uh, uh, similarly, Philip Phillips, right? You guys remember that guy? He won, uh, I think he won American Idol. Every single commercial during the women's gymnastics team in, in the 2016 Olympics, they would play the same Philip Phillips song. So every time I think of that, I think of like a backhand spring or something cool. And then other songs too, right? So basically anything by Kesha. Okay, anything by Kesha just brings me excitement, brings me some, some praise. It makes me think about a wedding dance floor, right? Just getting wild out there. And then finally, there's a Bonnie Vare album that came out a few years ago that uh, sort of matched up in a way with a really difficult time in my family's life. And his songs are already really sad uh, and deal with things like pain and loss. Uh, so when I listen to that album or I hear a song from that album, it sort of takes me back to that place. So songs, right, songs can creatively convey a lot of different things. They can convey thoughts, emotions, experiences, and that's what we have in the book of Psalms. We have a song book that, is, that holds a very similar regard in the life and in the faith of the Israelites that songs do to many of us today. The Psalms bring about memories, right, memories of God's faithfulness. They portray God's people in anguish over their sin and, and in their experience of oppression, they creatively convey emotions and encouragements and calls to action. Well, my name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City, and this morning we're going to be looking at one of these songs, a short one, in fact, Psalm 100. It's just five verses, but it's packed with significance, as God's Word often is. And this will be our last Uh, sermon in the Summer in the Psalms series. Is that what it was called? Yeah, Summer in the Psalms. Now this psalm, this psalm is a thankful praise. It's bursting with a full picture of God's uh, desire of the human experience, right? It's about life and it's about faith. And what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through God's Word together, looking at the structure, looking at some of the phrases from this short passage, and to encourage each and every one of us to truly look at God, to see Him, to focus on Him, to search for Him, to seek Him, and to realize that when we make Him and our relationship with Him the foundation of our life and faith, it truly frees us up to experience everything that we were created for in a full and compelling way. So let's begin by reading the passage. I encourage you to pull it up on your phones or open your Bibles. It's going to be up on the screen. I asked uh, Michael if we could put all of it really small and fit it all on one screen, and he said no, and I said yes. (laughs) So so there it is up there. It's all up there. You might not be able to see it in the back. I apologize, but uh, grab a Bible or grab your phone. So let me read these five verses. This is Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. 
starting in verse 1. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. So right off the bat, I want to make a few quick observations, three observations. So observation number one. Verses 1 through 4 are filled with verbs, right? It says, make noise, serve the Lord, come into his presence with singing, know the Lord, enter his gates and courts, give thanks, bless his name. These are all action words that we are encouraged and commanded to do. That's observation number one. Observation number two. Many of these action verbs are paired with emotions and feelings and conditions and qualifiers. It says make a noise, right? But what kind of noise? It says a joyful noise. It says serve the Lord with what? With gladness. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. So here we have emotions and feelings that are coloring and magnifying these verbs and actions and commands. And then finally, observation number three. It's the truths and descriptions about who God is in this passage. Look at verses three and five again. It says, the Lord is God. Now the Hebrew here is Yahweh, which is God's proper name, it says Yahweh is Elohim. That's what the Lord is God means. It says that the Lord is the one true God, the supreme ruler, right? The being, the creator, the divine. And it says he made us, we belong to him. We are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then in verse five, it says the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations, is also forever. So with these three observations from the text, I want to make three different points that speak to us this morning. So let's start in the beginning. It says, first, God calls us to action. God calls us to action. These verses being filled with Verbs, it shows us just how important it is that we consider what we do with our faith. What do we do with it? Faith and our experience of God is not only for believing truth. It's not only about how we feel, but it's also the transformation of how we live our lives. This text is filled with calls, encouragements. It's filled with imperative commands. And these aren't suggestions, right? These aren't merely descriptions of something that's going on in a worship service or something, right? This is a prescription for God's people to be active, right? To be present, to be dynamic. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I have a list of to-dos, right, my first instinct is to start checking things off those li- the, that list. How can I accomplish these things? What am I being asked to do? Do I know what I need to do? 
But this is more than that. This is more than just a to-do list. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to experience God in our service, in our participation in worship, in our choosing to engage in faith actively. There are likely many of us here that equate volunteering at the church or serving your fellow neighbor or, or actively engaging your faith or clapping or singing with vigor or something that only really intense Christians do, right? Only those really, really Christian Christians, those really faithful Christians do that. Now, that that business, right, that business is only for those who are truly uh, uh, mature, fully developed. It's only for pastors or, or leaders, but what we might be missing here, what we might be missing is the opportunity to experience God through these things. We might be missing the tangible chances to see God working in and through us when we serve. We might be missing out on what God is doing around us if we aren't willing to get our hands dirty and participate. And I think that's probably been true for humanity in many different ages, but I think I look at our culture today, living in uh, today's world, and this isn't an uncommon theme, right? There's a lot of people out there, ourselves included, right? This isn't just an out there problem. This is an in here problem. This is an in here problem. But there's a lot of people in the world today who do a lot of talking, do a lot of talking about stuff. There's a lot of passionate yelling about something, a lot of forceful typing, about something, but I don't know if people are as quick to stand up and do something. You know, has anyone here ever gotten drawn into a Facebook or a Twitter or a Reddit, uh, you know, battle, a back and forth? Don't let them draw you in. I'm raising my hand. I mean, I'm not actually, now I am. But my friends and I always say, right, we always say, don't let them pull you in, don't let them draw you in. Now, when I think about this passage, I don't think the... Uh, uh, conclusion should be don't uh, uh, engage on social media, right? Or anything like that. But I do think that there is a strong invitation here, a clear command in this passage to engage, to be active, to experience God through our actions. God is not only in a book. He's not only in music. He's not only in church. He's out there. He's everywhere. He wants us to engage. He wants us to be on mission. He wants us to join the story of redemption that's happening all around us and in us. Now, this is not a long commercial for Nike where I just conclude and say, just do it. But I am encouraging all of us to join in, to do something, right? Each one of us, something. Experience God through serving. Worship God by doing the things that God himself values and cares for. God is saying, serve me, love me, bless me, thank me, know me, make much of me, speak well of me. And much of that translates into the ways that we love and care about other people. God's mission of serving himself is channeled into serving his people serving the people that he created, caretaking the world that he created. And if you have something in mind already, right, if you're already connected to something, you're already doing something, then I want to encourage you to go for it or keep going for it. Things here at the church, right, serving at the church is not the only way, not the only way to serve. 
But if you don't have something in mind, let me tell you one way that is an option here. Scarlet City Kids. Okay, we're in need of volunteers. We're always in need of volunteers, but specifically right now in this season, we're in need of more people who are willing to serve the children of this church by caring for them and teaching them during the service. Right, right now, there's 15 or 16 people downstairs who are hanging out with all the kids. And it's a lot. There's like a lot of kids down there. Like too many kids. How many, Megan, how many kids are down there? Like 50? 40 what? 40 right now? 40,000 is what she said, I think. <laughs> okay, right? But uh, uh, this is also a blessing for us up here, right? Imagine if there were 40,000 kids up here right now. Okay, no one would be listening to me. No one would be hanging out. You'd just be like, why are there eight kids hanging onto my leg? Um, and if you haven't been down there, right, we've got, you know, 20 babies under the age of two, probably another 20 or 30 uh, kiddos who aren't, you know, who, aren't, who are older than two but younger than middle school age. We need help, right? We need volunteers. And like I said, please don't walk away from this sermon thinking like, dang, he hit me with that Psalm 100 guilt. You know, I need to, I need to go hold a crying baby. No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, this is an encouragement, right, to get out there, to go experience God by doing things, right, by doing stuff, by serving, by loving, by being hospitable. And if you already feel God pulling you uh, in, in a direction in that way, then I want to encourage you to go for it. But if you don't have an idea, if you have no idea where you might be able to serve or where you might be able to do something, then talk to me after the service. We could use you downstairs. We need you, right? You don't have to be a baby person. You don't have to be a little kid person. Uh, you just can't, like, smack them around if they're being bad. You just have to be nice, right? You just have to make sure that they're safe, make sure that they're not running, uh, you know, out the door or something like that. Now, moving on, okay, moving on, looking, continuing to look at this passage. It's not only what we do that matters, right? It's not only the action uh, that matters, but where that action comes from, okay? The heart that we have when we do things, the motivation, the emotions behind our acts of service uh, and our worship and just our mindset. God cares about our emotions and attitudes and motivations. He cares. He cares about our hearts. He doesn't only care about what we do with our hands. He doesn't only care about what we think about in our heads, but he cares about what's going on in our hearts. Like we saw in observation number two of this passage, most of these verbs, these call to actions, these calls to act, they're paired with conditions. They're paired with qualifiers. God is saying with no uncertain voice, I care about the why. I care about what's going on in your heart. God is not an emotionless, sovereign deity that demands that you know the right answers to the questions and that you meet the output, you meet the bottom line. He wants us to experience joy, gladness, thanksgiving, praise. He wants us to experience a sense of belonging, a sense of care, of guidance and love. He's showing us here that our motivation matters. Think about a practical example. Imagine asking your roommate or your spouse or your kid to complete a reasonable chore around the house or around your apartment. Let's say it's uh, clearing the dishwasher or, or, or clearing the washer and dryer, any, anything like that, uh, uh, so that you can kind of get in there and do something. 
you ask them, hey, can you, you know, clear, clear this stuff out so I can get in there? And this is their response, right? <sighs> All right. Start kind of unloading it, and they're like, Jesus, <laughs> 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 stupid, 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 tossing stuff around. There you go. I did it. You're welcome, your majesty. So what's happening there? What's happening in that situation, right? The desired action, the desired outcome is being completed, right? But the attitude ain't right. And I think we all know it when we experience it. A lot of times we're the ones doing it. The emotions and the motivations, they're tainted. In this situation, you might even be tempted to think, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I wasn't trying to ruin your day. Like, sorry, just need you to, like, help out around here. Now, another good example, right, would be a server at a restaurant. I think most of us here can tell the difference between someone who's kind of meh, you know, just a meh server, and a great one, right? A meh server. Obviously, I say that very specifically, don't I? A meh server. A meh server, he, he or she just kind of brings you the food, you know, refills your drink when you ask for it, like, here's your check, like, there's no sense of actually, you know, wanting you to enjoy yourself. But with a great server, you know, you know right off the bat that, that they're going to have a genuine, they have this genuine desire for you to enjoy yourself, for them to do a good job, right? Think about Chick-fil-A, okay? I'm always so taken aback. Really? It's your pleasure? It's your pleasure to get me hot sauce? <laughs> hey, uh, hey, my three kids, uh, we just absolutely destroyed one of your booths and I'm going to just walk right out. My pleasure. But I don't think that this passage here is just saying something like, make a noise, right? Just make a noise, any, just any noise, make any kind of noise, right? It specifically says, make a joyful noise, make a joyful noise. You know, just a noise is a child on Christmas morning that says, you know, thank you, oh, mother and father, for this bicycle that I so petitioned you for. Thank you, right? No, a joyful noise is like, it's a PlayStation! I got a PlayStation! How'd that land? Was that good? A little loud? I got a high voice. So what's God saying to us here, right? What is he saying to us? He's saying that how you feel matters to him. What motivates you matters to him. Not only does it matter, but for our desire, for our experience of goodness, and how we feel. God wants us to feel joy and goodness and gladness and praise. And there are tons of church traditions that for centuries have told us that emotions are bad. Okay? The only thing that matters is truth. Okay? What matters is what you do. But positions like this, I think, are, are a neglect of what's made clear in this passage and, and in Scripture as a whole that God does care about how we feel. He does care about our attitudes. He cares about our sensations, what we're experiencing. And for many of you, this might not be an issue at all, right? You have uh, emotional depth and breadth. You know, you're able to do and even convey your inner world to God and to others. And I'm one of these people, right? It's the men in my house, the man and the tiny boy, who wear our hearts on our sleeve. But not everyone is like this, okay? Engaging with your emotions and allowing your emotions to come out of you. 
That's difficult. That can be difficult. There's a trepidation to communicate how something makes you feel. Many of you might have grown up in a family or a church or a subculture that says that emotions make you weak. Or even that only positive emotions are are, are worthy of expressing. But depression and disappointment and doubt and fear and frustration, all of those are emotions that are not meant to be pushed down and forgotten. This passage does mostly focus on positive emotions, like joy and thankfulness. But in our exploration of, of all of these psalms that we've been doing the past few months, we've see, we, we, we can see the, the, the emotional depth and breadth, the deep struggle, the pain that many of the authors have reckoned with. And in this passage, God is giving us permission to experience joy, even more so than, than, than him just saying that joy is something that we should experience as we walk with him. It's saying that thanksgiving and gladness, these, these things are things that we experience as we walk through life with him. And it's saying that when we experience God, these are the components, these, not the only components, but these are components that go along with it. They're not the only emotions that we experience with God but they are in the arsenal. And I often struggle, I personally often struggle with cynicism, right? I love to laugh, I love to be goofy, I love to have fun, but sometimes I can be really pessimistic. And I need to be reminded that there is safety in belonging to God. There's a certain level of gratefulness and thankfulness and joy that goes along with understanding who God has made me to be. My inner negativity as I look at the brokenness in my own life or in the lives of others or in this world as a, as a whole shouldn't be isolated from the wonder and the amazement of who God is. And that brings us to our third and final point this morning. It's that very idea that understanding who God is, how he relates to us, and our admiration, our understanding of who we are before him, that is the foundation of everything that we think, feel, and do. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know the truth of who he is. Let me read verses 3 and 5 again. It says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And right here we have the third component. We've seen encouragements and commands to do, to feel, and now to know. And there's a diversity of ways to know something, right? You can read about it. You can read about something and understand it mentally. You can know another person, right? Through spending time with them and talking to them and listening to them. You can know something by immersing yourself in a way of life or in a practice. And this passage here is encouraging. It's commanding God's people to know who it is that we worship. It's a directive to understand and appreciate who it is that loves us, that saves us, that beckons us into his 
family. And we are invited to know this God, our God. And these are glorious truths to know. His nature, his personal character, how he relates to us. And there's some pretty significant claims and truths in this very passage. It says that he is God. There is no other God greater than him, no power that is above him. It says that he made us, that he is the creator, not only of the framework of creation, but also he knit us together the exact way that we are. And it says we belong to him. There is nothing that can overcome this kind of of caretaker and guardian, right? We are his people. And we are like sheep who are overseen and cared for and protected by a shepherd who would willingly lay down his own life for his sheep. He is good. He is the ultimate good, the good that all other goods are measured up against. His virtue, his moral uprightness, his righteousness are unparalleled and unmatched. Somebody say amen. The Lord has given us love that will never end. It will keep on going forever and ever. His absolute dedication and affection toward us, his people will not stop. He is faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. To all generations, he is authentic, believable, trustworthy, and loyal. This is the God who wants us to know him. This is the God who invites us to be in relationship with him. This is the God who wants us to know what he is like. And understanding who he is, that is what animates and gives life to everything else in our existence and in our faith. This is the foundation, this knowledge, right? And remember that knowledge doesn't simply mean mental understanding, but this knowledge, this understanding is is what everything is built on. God doesn't want to be known in the abstract. He doesn't want to be known in theory. There's no such thing as knowing God only in our brains, but he is experienced and known with the heart, with the hands, and with the head. There was a phrase that I was exposed to in my experience at uh, working at a predominantly black-led church when I lived in the South. And it's more than just a phrase. It's almost a simple call and response, a personal call and response. And when we would uh, be in a situation where something unexpected happened, right, there was some resolution to a situation or something got worked out uh, in your life or at the church or something like that, uh, and you didn't necessarily have an answer to why it happened or, or, or you couldn't quite testify to something that that it happened, we would say, we would use the phrase, look at God, right? When your replacement tires are cheaper than expected, right? Look at God. When someone helps, helps you fix a flat tire, look at God. When someone sold you a car for under market value, look at God. I had a lot of car problems in North Carolina. <laughs> and the appropriate uh, response, right? The response to this call is, won't he do it? Someone says, uh, man, this thing really got worked out. And you say, look at God. And someone says, won't he do it? And this is a phrase that I like to, some, I like to throw around. Sometimes it's playful. Uh, but what I love is what's at the core of it, 
It's the sense that God is at the center of all existence and experience. He is worthy of thanking when something works out. He's the person that we run to when things aren't working out. No matter the situation, no matter the feeling, the thought, the experience, look at God. Look at God. Don't put yourself at the center of your life experience. You know, of course, reckon with yourself, right? Process your emotions. Get to know yourself. Process and confess your sins. You know, experience peace and joy. But ultimately, look at God. Focus on God. See Him in worship. See Him in the book. See Him in your life and in the world. See Him. Search for it. Seek it. Look for it. Make knowing Him the foundation of your whole life. He wants us to know Him. He wants the foundation of our thoughts and feelings and actions to be Him. Not because He's a tyrant, not because He, uh, but rather because He loves us. And he knows what our experience is. And he knows that what we can experience in him is greater than anything else we could possibly experience in this life. God wants everything that we do and feel and think and experience to come from a full understanding of who he is. So as we wrap this up this morning, I want you to consider your own life. Let's examine ourselves as we dwell on this short passage. Which of these three areas, service and action, emotion and feelings, or knowing God himself, which of these three do you, which, which of these three do we need to work on in this season? Or another way to put it perhaps is which of these three do you fear the most? Which of these three do you want to avoid the most? Is it serving? Do you need to jump in somewhere and, and maybe volunteer or take a place of humility in this season and see the, see the Lord work in and around you? Is it your emotions? Could you try journaling for the first time? Do you need to get some time with a friend or a pastor or someone that you know to just talk about how you're feeling about life right now? Do you need to be more engaged in worship, either privately or at church? Or is it your understanding of who God is? Do you need to spend some time really looking at who he says he is in the Bible? Do you need to pick up a book so that you can expand some of your knowledge and familiarity with theology, which is a scary word sometimes? If you need suggestions or you want to process this with someone, there's plenty of people here, including myself, that would be happy to engage on this level. This is what we do. Let us serve you in this way. I want to end this morning by encouraging you to look at God. Look at God. That is where it all begins and where it continues for all of us. We don't graduate or mature past looking at God. And when we see him most vividly and clearly is in the person and work of Jesus. God doesn't merely give these commands or suggestions or invitations from a heavenly throne far away and distant. He doesn't sit on his throne and look down and say, well, I hope they figured this stuff out. 
No, instead he acts, he moves, he serves his people by revealing himself to us personally. God himself in Christ came to this earth. He lived as a man, fully God and fully human. And he does it all, right? He served and worked alongside regular folk like you and I. He conveyed deep emotions, both painful and joyful. He challenged our understanding of ourselves and of God by teaching the truth about himself and about his father. He did it all. And he died on a cross so that we could look at God. He died on the cross so that we could look at God. He did what we could never do. He opened up a way for us to see him, to know him, to serve him, and to experience him. So this morning, my encouragement to you is simple. Look at God. Bring your whole self to him. He is safe because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Encouraging us to engage with our whole self, to know that we can serve, that we can feel, that we can know, Lord, who you are. And that knowing who you are, resting in who you are, resting in who we are before you, is what motivates us and encourages us to think about you, to experience you in our emotions, and to serve you and others. So God, I pray this morning that we would look at you and understand who you are and who we are before you. Amen.